Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. Welcome to Connections. I'm Colleen Hood with Mike Tom. Today's guest has a story that at times can be very difficult to listen to, but it's a story that needs to be shared. We're joined by Raymond Mason. He's an Ojibwe activist who campaigns for the rights of residential school survivors. He's also the founder of Spirit Wind, which is an organization that played a key role in the development of the Indian Residential School Settlement Agreement. Raymond is also the survivor of Indian Day and residential schools in Manitoba, and he's going to share with us over the next three days his struggles to find meaning in life after trauma and abuse. It's been several years, but Raymond Mason can still picture everything and feel everything that he went through when he was in day school and a residential school in Manitoba. He's recently put a memoir together called Spirit of the Grassroots People, Seeking Justice for Indigenous Survivors of Canada's Colonial Education System. He's also an activist who campaigns for the rights of residential school survivors, and he's the founder of Spirit Wind. So we'll be talking about your book in a little while today. Um, you are a day school, a residential school survivor. I'm wondering, do you remember what life was like uh, where you were growing up before you went to the school, though? Uh, I remember, yeah, I, as a child, uh, I, I remember, uh, you know, uh, uh, living in a, in a, a log built home <clears throat> made of a log and our home was made with you know like the, uh, the, the you know the kinks and the holes were were all you know how the logs they make those like rib rib style look look you know well they, they were they were all uh, <clears throat> uh, plugged with uh, mud and, and uh, soil or something like that to 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 insulate and uh, I remember my parents used to <clears throat> whitewash, uh, use some kind of lime, white lime. All the homes were white in those days. <clears throat> it was a uh, our home was a, had a it was a two story, uh, and uh, it was very very basic, you know. <clears throat> and uh, I remember uh, my bed my bed was was made of it was homemade. Of uh, wood and logs, and and uh, uh, we were happy. It was like it's the only life we knew. We used to walk to school, and uh, we used to, have, you know, uh, you know, and our home was uh, was was home, you know, and and I remember that uh, uh, my mattress was made of uh, uh, hay straw, uh, you know. I don't know if you ever know, ever heard of uh, what they call, we used to call brand sacks. Uh, it's a, a bags, big, large bags. And we used to stuff them with, uh, with uh, straw. So a simple life, but sounds like you were had a happy life too, though. Oh, yeah. Yes, we were. And, you know, and, uh, but it all, the, my life uh, took a step towards... Uh, uh, a life that I was never accustomed to. Uh, those days, I never left, left my home yard or my community far less uh, be taken away to. Uh, in those days, it seemed forever, for for and a long, long, long <clears throat> distance. When uh, the Indian agent and the RCMP officers 
came to our home, and they were there to come take me away from my parents. And it was very, very traumatic, and uh, I remember my mom hanging on to me and uh, screaming and yelling and trying to fight with the Indian agent and the RCMP officer. And uh, and uh, in those days, there was a old, what they used to call a gray goose bus. And they put me on that bus, uh, the RCMP put me on that bus, and never, never considered about, you know, taking extra clothes or anything like that. They just grabbed me and put me on this bus, and, uh, and it's like I was a prisoner from that day on. There was no notification to your family before all of this? They just came and showed up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, they were there, like, you know, <clears throat> that was it. I think that's one thing that gets lost on a lot of, uh, uh, like, let's say, settlers, right? Like, we know about the schools, and we've heard about the schools, but we forget about that scene of how were the ki- how did the kids arrive at those schools? So an agent and an officer literally come to your door and your mom's screaming and crying as her son's taken away. What was, uh, do you remember as you got on that bus, what you were thinking that day it first happened? Well, you know, when you're a child, you know, you think nothing but the worst. You think you're going to get, you're going to, you're going to die, you know, or something terrible is going to happen to you. Because I remember the RCP telling the bus driver, you keep an eye on this child. Don't let him out of your sight because he needs to go to this. And I guess I didn't hear, pay attention. They took me to Winnipeg and, and to transfer on a, onto another bus to, to go to Bertle. I remember um, I had to sit on in. It seemed forever to wait for the, the bus, the other bus, to take me from Winnipeg to Bertle. And I actually um, peed myself in a couple of times, and, and I got, I got, I got, I got um, scolded for that, yelled at, and cursed at, and then. Uh, I was made to sit right in front of the, the agents, uh, the bus uh, bus people, workers, where they can keep an eye on me. And people were walking by and <clears throat> looking at me like as if I was a, a little dog, I guess, you know. And, and once in a while, they'll come throw me a sandwich. What? You know, but... Um, <clears throat> How old were you when this first happened? About eight or nine years old. Wow. So on this bus, were you then the only child that they had picked up on this bus... Were you on your own, or were there other children that they picked up that same day? Well, no, I, I, I don't know. As far as I know, it was just me. Hmm. Uh, very interesting for me, because I grew up actually near that residential school, and it's in western Manitoba. That's hundreds of kilometers away from where you're from, too. I always yeah, assumed it, that it, the schools it, were it, in a neighboring it, it town. In the morning, and I got there dark, late at night. Wow. You know, so it it is a very, very traumatic, scary uh, life uh, feeling. And that's just the first day we're talking about. How long were you in residential schools for then, Mr. Mason? Was it your entire school? uh, You were from up to grade 12, or how many years were you in schools? Yes. Uh, Grade uh, grade 12, I I graduated, yeah. Yeah, You know, but... uh, you know, you get accustomed to it, you get use of it, and you, you know, you just try, as, you get, as I got older, 
and I and I I had to fend for myself. You know, I was I was raped. I was you know bothered by different by older schoolmates, by principals, uh, supervisors of the schools in Bertle. You know, so it's not a very good life. I think often one of the things I'll hear from some people. Um, as a former pastor too, and working to bring the reality of residential schools to light is people will often say things like, well, they got an education, right? And they got room and board. Um, but uh, yeah, it was anything but a pleasant experience. Can you maybe explain to people a bit more in depth what the reality was at those schools? Um, you know, I, I always said that, um, Yes, we went through hell. Mm. We were prisoners of that system. And uh, the only good thing I can say about it is that we, I got an education, you know, and, uh, <clears throat> but in the process of that, me getting the education, the life that I went through <clears throat> was su- supremely uh, devastating, mm-hmm. you know. And, 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 you know, because... Uh, you know, I, I I never knew if I would ever be able to go home, if I would ever be able to see my parents, my sisters and brothers. Uh, you know, and uh, I was I was terrified, and 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 during uh, like we were we had to sleep in dormitories where it had bunk beds. I was, you know. I remember that, and and uh, and then I I had made some friends, buddies of school my schoolmates, and and we used to plan on how to run away from school. Let's let's try and make it home. Let's try, and, you know. So we we we'd run away, and we got caught every time, and we got severely punished. You know, I don't want to go into the details and what happened, but it, it wasn't good, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, that is the reason why when you look on the picture of my book, uh, my book depicts a story. You know, uh, when we were in re- in the school, the early years, uh, we were taught, oh, if you, you want to run away from home to get home, the best way to do it is to follow the railway tracks. And uh, so we did that. You know, and every time I ran away, I got caught. And well, how did they do it? They they head us off. They'd go further down the tracks and wait for us. You know, and uh, uh, so the, in my book, on my book, the cover, you see this elder talking to this child, and he's telling that child, "Don't follow the railroad tracks." He says, "Next time you you want to go home, follow the the Big Dipper." Mm. You'll be always facing north. That way, you'll never be lost. That's that's what that picture on my book depicts. It's teaching that youth, that kid, uh, you know, that go go by the Big Dipper, you know, and, and not to not to follow the railway tracks because that that's all we knew, you know. And uh, my partner. I still don't know to this day what happened to him because uh, his, his name is uh, uh, Atkinson. I forget his first name. 
and uh, I still don't know what happened to him because he, he never came back that with me uh, when we got caught. He, he, he managed to hide or get away, but whether they, well, whatever happened to him, I don't know. <clears throat> I've never seen him, never spoke to him or heard from him, and I tried to find him later in life. I could never find him. Uh, so, you know, it was, so I don't know if he got killed or was killed or, or you know, and it, it just, I don't know. I really don't know. But, it, so that's, the story tells you the, the, the enormity of, of, um, of the lifestyle that we lived in. And, you know, the bed was the best. The food wasn't the best, you know, and, you know, uh, and we had to work uh, for most of the food that we ate because there was gardens, we had gardens, and I had to look after the pig farm, and, uh, you know, and, you know, uh, so uh, it made us work like adults. Raymond Mason has had so much to share with us about the early years of his life. He was taken from his home when he was just eight years old and brought to Indian Day in residential schools in Manitoba. He has so much more to share that we're going to continue this conversation over the next two days. Join us again tomorrow for part two of the conversation. And don't forget to subscribe to Connections with Colleen Hood and Mike Tom. You can do that by visiting podcastville.ca or wherever else you get your favorite podcast from. We'll talk to you again on Connections.